Today, we welcome a CAP Educational Therapy Group team member and learning specialist, Maria Alides, to the podcast. We invited her to come on to talk about how establishing clinical boundaries has been revolutionary for her. She talks about time blocking, the other things that she's passionate about, and how establishing boundaries early in relationships has led to rapport and understanding with both her learners and their parents. Maria also shares how porous boundaries have negative ripple effects and how identifying her ideal client has helped her to love the work she does even more. If you are interested in having more of these conversations, these are the types of conversations that Steph and I love having with our one-on-one coaching clients. We both have space to take on just one or two more coaching clients right now. So if you are interested, feel free to email us at Rachel and Steph at LearnSmarterPodcast.com. Now let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 204 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. We are so excited to welcome Maria Elides to the podcast from Cap Educational Therapy Group. Hi, Maria. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. So one of the really delightful things for me in terms of like coming back from maternity leave has been watching like everybody's growth from me stepping away to me coming back and in those six months sort of like what happened with everybody on the team. And when you and I started talking, I was like, she has never been happier. You had this lightness of energy about you. And I was just excited to see that in you. So let's talk a little bit about you and who you are and like share where you're from and like catch us up on what led you to CAP Educational Therapy Group. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, it's definitely a path that it wasn't something that was expected. I mean, growing up, I'm from Philly growing up. I've always wanted to be an actor. I'm continuing. I am an actor. And there was the path of balancing a couple of different things in order to pursue it, pursue that exactly. And not go insane, making sure that I was having enough money to do all of those things. And I think something that brought me into working with children was just how open I am. And there's no like barrier because doing theater, you just have to be crazy and engage the audience, engage whoever it is. And I think that's what made it so easy for me to kind of start working with children. I've always, I've had, I have four younger siblings, so that also helps. And I've always been around kids. And when I was in college, I started tutoring during the summers. And then that just became a more consistent thing. And I was working with all ages of kids from as young as six to high school. And I started realizing that I kind of knew how to figure out what a child needed. I was working a lot with students doing reading remediation, comprehension remediation, and I was able to pick apart, oh, this wasn't working for them, or they need more support in this. And that's when I kind of started taking a little bit more lead on those things. And I was recommended to CAP. Uh, Someone told me about CAP and I was... 
I applied and I said, this is really interesting. I've never really heard of educational therapy. That wasn't something that I necessarily knew existed. But then as I was you know, learning from you and having our team meetings and getting all this information, I realized that I was kind of slowly doing it already before working as a learning specialist. So it took some time to figure out what other pieces were included within this world of ed therapy. And it took a little bit of time, but I think that only just recently have I really felt super comfortable within it. And I feel like I can go into a session and know exactly what the student needs or have an intake meeting and figure out this, these are the steps I want to take and then be open to the discovery along the way. Because I think that, you know, the first few weeks I meet a student, I learned so many things, but then I learn so much more about them two months later six months later, a year later, I've been lucky to work with two or three students now I've, I've had for over a year now. And so not only have I been able to develop the relationship with them, but I also, I'm seeing how they evolve and I'm learning more about what they need as they continue through school. So it's been a really interesting journey. Okay. I wasn't expecting to ask this question, but what has helped you sort of step into that role and step into that confidence Because I only hire people who are competent, right? And who I like to be around. And Mm -hmm. you're a very clear communicator. And you're a very explicit communicator with me. So what has sort of helped you step into that confidence now? This idea I use in all parts of my life. Because growing up, I played sports, theater, all this stuff. And I think just the practice and the repetition of just like the more students that I've had, the more comfortable I've been to communicate with parents to communicate with the students about what they need. Sometimes they need a little bit of tough love or just that truth that needs to happen for them to improve. So I think it has been just over time, I've just felt more comfortable. And I think slowly too, as as we have talked before, I found the kind of students or the range, the age range of students too, that I feel like most confident with or most comfortable with. So I think that working with especially high school students, I felt that I can just create, I'm very good at connecting with people in general, but I felt it much easier in that age group that I've been able to, you know, share examples from my life with them that an encouragement because I can say, oh, hey, I've been there. I don't really enjoy this either, but if you can take the step, this will improve or this will become easier for you. So I think that the more students that I've met along the way has given me more of that confidence and ability to go, okay, this is what I think, this is what you need. This is how we're going to approach it. And then whatever happens, happens because there's definitely the students or the parents that they don't continue on the way that that you hoped, or they, they kind of go, Hey, we're going to pause because this doesn't fit right now in our life. We're not able to do this and whatever other reasons. And I think rejection has really helped me because initially I used to take it very personally. And, and I thought something was my fault. I thought that something wasn't working or they didn't want to continue on with me because they didn't like me or I was not approaching their plan the way they wanted to. And then I realized that sometimes things don't fit. Sometimes things don't work out if they can't allot that time or they don't really fully understand that it may take a decent amount of time to progress. And I think out of that, 
I've also learned to be more communicative and more clear and more direct about what they need. I have a question because when you first started, you were just doing reading remediation. Yes. But now it sounds like you're doing high school kids. Yes. And I think with that, what's still very similar from what I was doing prior is a lot of like comprehension remediation and processing content because there's so much going on in every class. I feel like, you know, when I look at a student, when we're working on history, there's so much background information and so much dissecting and figuring out what the main idea is here and why is this important? And there's dates and there's all of that process is something that I've been trained on how to better help a student retain that information. So that's something that, yes, all of my students at this age group can read. That comprehension piece is still a struggle for so many of them. And I notice that they're a little bit behind in their in their grade level or a particular subject is really difficult. And so I'm able to use that background to guide them when we're working on, on certain content things, working on outlining and how to set up an essay and that kind of ties in. And yeah, that's been really helpful because <laughs> it's been a really interesting approach. This is interesting to me because I actually didn't know the part because I know that you were trained in some programs and you were doing a lot of younger, basic reading remediation from your training. And I didn't know that you had transitioned to mostly high school. So this is an interesting, I'm I'm taking it in. It's It's interesting, but I completely and utterly understand coming from a place of having such a deep understanding of how to teach reading, how it would help the high school kids in a different way than it would if you were just... Reading intervention. Yeah, exactly. So fascinating. Okay. I had a few students here and there too that were high school. Most of them were younger. Most of them were third, fourth, fifth grade And then when those high school students, sometimes we would have adults come in. I worked with a student once who was in their residency and we were working on medical terminology. And I was like, I have no idea. I don't have any background knowledge, but the process is the same. The breaking down, the understanding of the gestalt, like all of those pieces. And I realized I really enjoyed working with those students the most. Because for me, I had to do less work in the sense of engaging with someone I don't know. I come into a space and the first thing that I talk about when I have an intake meeting is is creating a comfortable space for that student to be themselves, for them to speak their mind, to ask questions, all of that. And so I feel like that's so much easier to do for me with older people because I can just talk and make them feel good. I can be like, you're amazing. I feel with little kids, I really just have to do... There's like whistles and bells that I have to do in order to engage them that would exhaust me. Yeah, you have to do a little dance. Yeah. <laughs> do a little dance. You know, I have to pull out the accents, which is fine, and the voices, and that's cool. But I have to do a little bit less of it with older students, and I can connect with just their, you know, they tell me stories, I tell them stories, and then all of a sudden we're bonded. Yeah. That's why I really enjoy working with that age group. So, a couple of things that I just want to point out and a couple of things that have been like referenced, but in a roundabout way. First of all, the first session that you have with your clinician at CAPED therapy group or my therapist is called an intake session. Depends on what's going on, but 
for sure the parents are going to be a part of that session. That's the first time they meet the clinician. And at least as of our process, when we're recording this in February, 2022, And sometimes that student is a part of that meeting. It just sort of depends. And the second thing in terms of Maria's evolution and the type of clients that she's worked with is the business is not an evolution. At a certain point, I decided that we were going to focus on students with ADHD and executive functioning challenges. And Maria's skill set fit seamlessly into that. And her EF skills are very strong as well. And her tech skills are very strong and sort of her toolkit of things. So it was a natural fit and a natural progression, which is why it's awesome to hire people who can evolve with you. What do you want to say? So you want to say something? I think what's been so cool is that, yes, I've been super able to evolve with everything that I've also learned of how we approach, you know, calendaring, organization, time blocking with our students. I have always tried to plan my time But I feel as though since working for CapEd, I've dove into that for my personal life too. And that has done wonders for me. Like I feel so good when I start my week planning my time on my calendar and I go, okay, I'm going to block out this time. I'm going to have my students here. I'm going to have whatever other responsibilities that I have. And I can take a look at that week and go, okay, I have this time that I can go and work out if I want to, or I can go sit there and just take a breath or sit on the balcony and be outside. I feel like I've been able to really stick to that time frame too. And I don't know if I would have been able to do that as effectively if I didn't work at the practice. And it's so interesting because yes, I have to encourage my students to do that, but it's great for me to say, hey, I've done it too. And if you want to effectively accomplish all of your goals, especially as you continue getting older and you're an adult, this is the way to do it because it's done wonders for me and it's totally worked for me. This has been real transformation. This is the reason I wanted you to come on because we had conversations about this. You shared earlier on in our conversation that you're an actor and this is something you are actively pursuing. And one of the things I remember you sharing with me if it's okay to say it. And if not, we can edit it out. But one of the things you said, if you're not satisfying the creative piece, you're not a whole happy, content person. And I said, great, make sure the creative piece gets on the calendar. And you've been really, really good. Even if I push back on the boundary and ask, is there any more availability? What's your flexibility on this day? You know, I know that Tuesdays are blocked out for you. And I don't ask about Tuesdays. I don't approach it. So I would love for you to share a little bit if you want to get into more specifics, but particularly how saying no to some things, including sometimes clients or sessions on certain days and times, how saying no has actually helped you say yes to the things that you want. Because I remember you'd be like, Rachel, the client asked for this time. Like they wanted this time and you felt like you had to do it. And I was like, no, just don't be available at that time. Right. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. It sounds so simple. Like, no, just don't offer it to them. And I'm like, well, but if I don't <laughs> offer it to them, then they don't get an hour. They don't get a session. They won't meet with me. I won't meet with anyone. And then I'll just be sitting on the side of the road. I think that uh, <laughs> I'm a very dramatic person. So that's what all started. And it took for me as person who needs day jobs and this is pursuing their career to find a balance. I used to work 40 hour weeks, just tutoring. 
And I was not having a good time uh, because I was not able to satisfy that creative piece at all. And so I was able to find opportunities in working with CAP that I was able to better manage my time, be more flexible, be able to open my days that I can fit them in for auditions. So my day, it's completely blocked off because auditions will come in. I'll try to do them within 24 hours. And then I'll be done. I'll submit and like, okay, great. Now time for my students. I really don't meet with students until like four or five o'clock in the evening. And I've gotten more used to working later on in the evening, which is not something that I always used to do, but it's allowed me to better balance everything. And when I first started, of course, I wanted to be like, I am ready to go. Give me whatever you want. And that's just something how I approach. I want to show you that I am all in on this. Um, and so I think, and I think for the first year, at least I was definitely like, I have to make sure all of these pieces fit. Rachel gave me the student. I have to go. I have to have to have to do this. And with the transition virtually, I think that's when the the change really started where I was able to, you know, cutting up the commuting time and then really focusing on scheduling my students back to back. I think that seems, sounds so obvious now, but there were times where I'd have a student and then I'd have maybe a half hour break or an hour break. And then I have another student because it worked for them. And that was not great. It was a little frustrating because that hour in between my brain's telling me I have another student after I can't actively do anything. So I think with the transition virtually, I was able to really go, Hey, I'm going to put my students back to back to back. I'm only going to offer those times And something that Rachel always preached, they're going to make it work. If they really want this, they're going to make it work. They're going to figure out their schedule, give them what you have, and we'll go from there. And it took a while to trust that because I was so afraid that it just wasn't going to work and I wasn't going to have students. (laughs) And I think once I started trusting that, you know, hey, these are the time blocks that I have. And I tried my best to offer over a span of days versus just here's a few time blocks within a day or within two days. Then I noticed that people would say, okay, we'll make it work. We'll go ahead and do that time. And I told them, hey, if there's a better time that comes up, I will absolutely let you know this is what I have. So it's just keeping the client in mind for sure to say, hey, I'm thinking of you. I know this time is not ideal, but we're going to make the most of it. We're going to go ahead and and help your child as best we can going through this process. And whatever time it is, we're going to make it work. And if there's a better one that comes, then it comes. And then I just noticed how parents were saying, okay, great. This works. The schedule set weeks go by and it's still fine. (laughs) And it's improved your quality of life. Absolutely. I have a blocks of students now. I work, you know, five to eight or four 30 to seven 30. I know that I can kind of clock in and out. I go in, I do my job. I have my students then I'm done and I can go on to whatever part of my life I need to go to. So I like that I've bundled you know, tutoring I may have, my auditions, or I have my writing that I do, and then I come in and I have my students. So it's definitely been a relief for me. And it's something that I think really, really clicked. I want to say September, so how many, four or five months now. Um, So this is kind of relatively new that it's been really clicking for me, but I feel so relaxed and so ready. And I also want to make sure that when you ask, can I give you more students that I'm giving you hundred percent the real answer. I'm not saying mm, like, I think I can, but I'm not sure. Like I, I always want to be very vocal with you 
Hey, my schedule is not fully set yet because I'm waiting on this meeting, this parent intake meeting, and they might take another time. And so if they take this time, I'm not sure what my schedule will look like. So I think also being very communicative, not only with parents, with students, with you, Rachel, so that I can also offer myself effectively to the practice has been really useful for me to be, to say, Hey, pause. I need a moment to tell you or yes or no. And I always want to be a hundred percent sure when I say yes or no. I appreciate it as someone who's trying to load you up with clients who I think are a good fit for you. It's very helpful for you to say yes or no. And for me to be able to trust that because before if the kids aren't happy, mom is not happy, right? Like if you guys aren't happy in whatever's going on with you guys personally, and I preach to you guys to manage your self-care and your personal life. And I'm also not upset if the answer is no. It's no right now, but like we just went through something. You're like, I'm on a pause. And then I saw that you were open to more and I checked in and I'm like, are you actually open to more? And you're like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so I love that it's a heck yes or a heck no for you now. Have you been somebody in your life where task switching has been hard for you? Like going from an elementary school kid to a high school kid, and then let's say back to an elementary school kid, like within a day or within like three hours or doing something that like was completely different in high school, you know, going back from class to class to class that were different or if it changed or whatever, was that something that you struggled with? My day looks different literally every day. And I really enjoy that versatility and the going back and forth. Also, one of my other jobs is I sell pretzels for a small business. And so literally one day I'm just like selling pretzels and the other day I'm tutoring. I was just curious because when you started talking about time blocking it, that changed your life. And there are so many people, so many adults that like don't block out time. And when you sat and blocked out, not necessarily like a couple of hours, but like your week, like changed for you. Before doing that, I was, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Or I have this list of things that I need to accomplish. Um, The very beginning stages of planning, very minimal where I acknowledge all the things that I have to do. And I think part of it also was not feeling the joy and the excitement to do those things too. Obviously, like if I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to do this at three o'clock, it's much easier than saying I need to do this today at some point. So giving a specific thing is helpful. But I think that with the time blocking, something has also switched where I've found the joy and the eagerness to do any of the things that I've planned for myself. I don't know if that's because with the time blocking, I've been able to go, actually, it's not going to take five hours. It's going to take an hour Uh and it's not that bad. Just like when I work with students and I say, hey, guess what? That took five minutes and their mind is blown. They were avoiding it. You know, I do enjoy going from one thing to another. I get bored if I'm stagnant or if I'm doing the same thing or Mm -hmm. I love just like, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to go do this audition. And now I'm going to go work with a student. I think what's super great. And Rachel, the longer that I've worked with the practice, you've clearly got an idea of who I am and my personality because a lot of these students that come in, they have the same amount of sass as I do. They're ready to go. And even if they're not, 
you know, some people, some students are diving into it. Some people take a little bit more time, but there's so many things that I notice within them that I go, okay, we're going to do this together. It's going to be okay. That makes me happy. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I agree with you. It's not just been the time blocking, although that's something that we talked about and something I really advocated for you. And I'm so happy. I texted you, I think, and I'm like, seeing you like this was the highlight of a really hard day for me. But it's also the clients. We've gotten really, really specific about who's a Maria client and who's not. And that's really been like a collaboration of you and I, right? Like Mm -hmm. you reflecting back, me saying, this is what I'm hearing you say. What about this? And having that conversation, can you share a little bit about how identifying your ideal client has allowed you to have a day where you're not avoiding something? We all have clients that drain us and we all have clients that light us up. And my goal is always for everyone to have clients that light them up, especially because the client that drains you is going to light up somebody else on the team. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Let's say that um, initially I had a lot of clients that drained me and I would get on the Zoom room and go, it's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is really relatable too. Yeah. There's just people that you vibe with. And that's just something that in life, if that's friends, it's that people that you work with, the energy that they bring, this applies to everything and not just working with students. But one of the connecting things that really I started working with students, when I noticed that a lot of these students were very creative or they had backgrounds in acting or they were going to acting school, or I knew that they were musicians, musicians, productions, things like that. The brain works a little bit differently. It's really funny because a lot of these students, they don't like certain things like math and science. And it's really interesting because I can connect with them in so many ways. I see so many similarities that I had when I was in middle school, when I was in high school. I mean, I have students who are just like, when am I ever going to use this math? And I go, well, listen. You're not going to use the parabola. It doesn't matter, but you need to budget. You need to figure out how money works, the foundational pieces that need to exist. And oftentimes, especially things like math are so difficult. It's because those foundational concepts are not stable. Everyone needs them. So I've been able to kind of pick apart and figure out these students. And then I go, wow, that was me in high school. I remember going to my math teacher all the time and saying, Hey, I hate this. And now I still talk to my high school math teacher who's Amazing. And I go, guess what I'm doing? I'm helping create foundational <laughs> concepts of math. Can you believe? So the creative thing has really hit a little bit for me. You know, when you send me a student and you're like, hey, they're starting to be in film. And I go, great, this is going to work. Because those are just like conversations for me. I kind of think of it in a way, how can I engage? How can I connect with a student? Already, I know that those pieces of, hey, what's your favorite TV show? What's your favorite movie? Are going to unlock a whole other conversation. So I think that's really interesting. And then when you unlock those conversations, they're just so comfortable and they just talk to you about anything. And I think that when it comes to, like we've mentioned, high school age students, even middle school students, they're a little bit more open to the conversation and they're not kind of sitting there waiting for you to say something. It becomes more of a two-sided thing versus a, okay, here's a cool thing we're going to do. And maybe the student is happy if you're in like third grade and everything's fine, but the conversation can evolve a little bit more when they're older as well. So that's been great. And I think that when they have humor, uh, I have a student who's so sassy. (laughs) 
It's really the best time. It's nothing personal. I think that maybe if someone like walked into the session, they'd be like, what's like, I wonder if mom would be like, why are you saying that? But (laughs) we've just developed this back and forth jokingness that we're taking this seriously in the sense that I want to, uh, from the bottom of my heart, help this student improve and make things easier and reduce their anxiety. But at the same time, we're not taking ourselves so seriously that a mistake is going to derail everything or that one thing will explode. So I think that I've been able to balance that with my students and kind of help them come into a session that's like, hey, we're going to go do this thing. If it didn't work for you this week, that's okay. What can we do to improve on it? What can we do to to figure this out? And I think they trust me. Yeah, they totally trust me. They're super mm-hmm. comfortable now with me. So it takes some time, but I think in the beginning, for sure, there's little things, even just how the way they talk, I go, I think this is going to work. It's definitely the years of acting and like theatrical, whatever, that I've learned how to engage with a person more than I maybe I would have if I didn't spend like five years at a university studying theater. I think that's definitely been something for me that I've been able to pick out with students and and figure out how to make them super comfortable. We've talked a little bit about this before we hit record, but I would love to hear your journey with setting good boundaries with clients. Like we mentioned initially, it was always like, how can I please them? And how can I do this to make everything great? And they love me and all of that. After a while, it can become so exhausting because you're just stretching yourself to please someone when as long as you communicate and you effectively manage your time and and you're clearly focusing on that student during those sessions, if you do all those things, they're going to see that and it's going to make a difference. You don't need to kiss their feet and hope for the best kind of thing. Prove your worth all the time. Just like being confident in myself and what I can offer has always been something that I've continued to work on, whether it is with the practice, whether it is me as a person, me as an actor, especially. And I think it's been a perfect storm of I've been building my confidence in all of those three parts of my life that has been able to make me setting boundaries and communicating with clients so much more like specific, clear. I've been able to improve on undoing that. For me, as I've grown older, time is so important and respecting time. I want to respect your time. I want to respect the student's time. I want to respect the client. I want to do that because that's what I want in return. There's so many little pieces of life that you just have to take care of. And everyone has something going on. And in establishing boundaries, I used to maybe allow more rescheduling than I would have allowed now. Again, because I was bending over backwards to make sure that the client was getting what they needed. And I think that there was a phase where I didn't have as many students. So I was like, okay, yeah, we can totally move this session an hour later. It's fine. And I didn't realize what it was doing to me. I didn't realize that by moving even just an hour later, I was not able to sit down and do my writing or have some time to myself where I could kind of decompress. And then as I was getting more and more students, I realized that was not possible to be moving pieces around because if I moved a student an hour later or even half hour later, then it was overlapping. So it kind of was born out of necessity that I was like, no, I literally cannot do this. 
if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. Yeah. I think it's interesting because the more rapport that I've built with students, the more I want to be flexible for them or they have been flexible for me. I've been lucky to have students who have like, Hey, listen, something's going on. I need to move this an hour or I'm not feeling so good today. I need to, can we reschedule? Because I always want to be able to offer the students the amount of sessions that they receive on a weekly basis. And so they've been respectful and some have been flexible with me. So there has been that little bit of a line because I'm like, well, if they're being flexible with me, I have to in turn be flexible with them. And I think there is that moment where I kind of gauge, okay, they were flexible with me this one time. I'm going to be flexible with them. And I do want to balance that. I don't want to move so many things around for them when it doesn't happen on the opposite side. And I had a student who basically would try to reschedule within five hours of our meeting. I noticed it was like the third time she was either trying to cancel or reschedule. And I sat there and I said to myself, well, this clearly bothers me, but why exactly does it bother me? Not only because it's my time, but it's also because if that student cancels, cancels within a very short amount of time, I can't offer that spot to someone else. The student that really needed this time can't get this spot because the student decided, oh, by the way, I just remembered I can't do this or I can't meet with you this day. And so that became very frustrating for me because I'm trying to not only manage my time, but I also want to be able to offer times to other clients so that that students can come in and get the support that they need. And one student is not necessarily considering that Selfish is a strong word, but I think it's so easy to just think about yourself sometimes because you're not aware of all the moving parts and all the pieces. And I have to do this and I have to do that. And oh, I think someone else is going to have to have this appointment kind of thing. And for me, when I put it into the perspective of this might be taking away from another student, it's really unfair. I need you to be aware that this is not something that you can do and you need to be more upfront. You need to tell me with more than 24 hours notice that this needs to change. And I wrote a very specific and clear email that told her that, hey, listen, this can't be happening because there are other students who need support. You need to be respectful of my time. I try my best to be respectful of your time. I need you to show me that you want to do this. If you don't, then we need to have a discussion. This was a particularly independent student who mom doesn't really communicate with me as much. Let's add mom to the mix. She doesn't really mention anything, but mom's always CC to an email. But I think at first I was like, oh, am I going to hurt her feelings? Like, oh no. Like, But then it was really just about, this is my time. These are other students. And also that's something that you need to learn as a student that you need to better manage your time and be aware of what your week looks like so you can accomplish things because you're going to have appointments, you're going to have meetings, you're going to meet with teachers and you're going to meet with your peers and your classmates And you need to be aware that they have other things going on and they can't drop things because you just realized three hours before that you can't do this. And sometimes that happens. There's times where the emergency happens and then you have to gauge like if it's true or not. Because there's moments where I'll have an email and the student will need to reschedule and I'll have to sit there and go, well, they didn't tell me why. They don't need to tell me why necessarily, but is this real or is this not real? You know, there are some students who fudge the truth a little bit in order to get what they need. You got to gauge that. Yeah, it's really important for the student also to be aware that that time is important and they need to be better managing and communicating. 
to me. Especially with new learning specialists or ed therapists who are trying to build a caseload, I think there is such a tendency to just say yes to everything. And in terms of figuring out which types of clients you like, that just takes time and experience, right? And reflection. But in terms of setting the boundaries of like, this is when I will work and this is when I won't work. I mean, Steph and I did this in the beginning of like, we said yes to things that we would never say yes to now. And that's part of growing. But this is also something we talk about a lot in Learn Smarter Pro about establishing those boundaries so that your business lights you up. It doesn't drain you. But what would you tell other clinicians who are struggling with porous boundaries and sort of being too available for clients about, one, the fear of not working enough, and then two, how it sort of impacts your own mental health and your well-being? Something that I wish that I had done earlier or been more aware of is just like, Deciding when I'm going to work and then really deciding that the days that I'm not going to work, I'm really not going to work. So for me, I think when I first started, I was working Saturdays or I had Saturdays open as I was developing a client load. There were more students. Most of my students never want to see me ever on a weekend. So it kind of worked for me this way. Anyway, I know that some students will work on weekends. It just depends on the, the client. So those days that I am not working... I am really not working. Like I've started on weekends specifically because I know in general, we don't, as a practice, as clinicians, we don't really communicate with each other on weekends too much. I make sure that I take off, like I pause my email on my phone from CAP because parents will email me whenever they want, which is okay. I tell them, email me, but know that I'm going to respond to you on a weekday. Sometimes on a Saturday morning, if I get a little, you know, and I will tell them I will respond back to you on Monday because Sundays I am not going to talk to you. But that's just my schedule. I know it's different for other clinicians. So it's important to really make that decision. My phone's on me all the time because if I get an audition, I must respond within an hour or else someone's going to be mad at me. That was definitely something that was kind of a curse. It's always on me. I need to always communicate. And sometimes parents would email me, sometimes an ultimatum, sometimes feelings that unfortunately would ruin my entire day. We talked a lot about this. And I would read it and go, oh my God, the world is over. Because again, dramatic. And I realized that there are no educational emergencies. So me responding a day later wasn't going to hurt anyone. So why did I need to see it on a Sunday? I did not. So pause your inbox or just like take it off of your accounts just for literally like a couple of days or whenever you're really not working because that just does wonders to your mental health. I can go solve a problem on a Monday. It's fine. I know there may be a fire somewhere. I'm going to stop the fire. I'm going to take it out. It's going to be fine. But I need to make sure that I have that balance of, I will talk to you this day and I won't talk to you this day. Of course, I try to you know email back to parents within 24 hours. And I am able to do that Monday to Friday, but I definitely am mindful of when I email parents, especially if I, if I need to set a reminder, I try to do that not on a Saturday, not on a Sunday, because I don't want that in return. And they're aware of that after I've had my check-in calls monthly with my parents, you know, we joke around now, they ask me how I'm doing. It's really sweet. And I just go, yeah, I'm going to probably more than likely, please feel free to email me any questions anytime, but know that I will respond on these days and the weekend is not something that I will do. And everybody respects it. Nobody pushes back on that. So this expectation that we have to respond to an email right away 
it just, it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And 24 hours is plenty like of time to show that you're reading the email, that you're responding, that you're, you're in on this, this new relationship that you're forming with the, the parents and the student, the more you as a clinician respect your own time and say your own boundaries, the, the client will do the same. They'll recognize that and realize that, okay, I'm so sorry. I don't want to bother you. I know that I'm going to communicate with you between these days that I've set. And I feel like there's more respect all around once you set yourself up for that. Boundaries lead to security. And I think it's very obvious, you know, when we talk about like raising little kids, give them limits, give them boundaries. Like it makes them feel safe and secure. Have it be predictable. I don't think that changes as you get older. Time boundaries are very important. Time boundaries are super important. And it's something that a lot of clinicians struggle with. Well, I guess I just wanted to add on to that, that I feel like, especially in the past couple of years with things transitioning work from home, we've all lost kind of boundaries and we're all working at any times of the day. And I think that that was initially what I was doing with everything. I was like, well, I'm just sitting on the couch. I can just respond to this email, but you're never off. You're always on And it's exhausting to have to be on alert the entire time. And when you get the chance to go, okay, I'm not going to look at this, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to work from between this time and this time, and I'm going to reserve an hour to respond to all of these emails, then you create a whole kind of process for yourself that once you're done, you're done, and now you can relax. And that just makes everything so much easier. Even if I wasn't juggling the acting and the writing and all of that stuff, just me as the person, I feel like my mental health and my emotional state has just improved dramatically because I've been able to put everything into little boxes and only open it when I'm ready to do it. So happy for you. It's been really great. And I mean, most of my students now I've been working with for almost a year plus now, which has definitely made things easier because they know me and I know them and their parents know me and they feel comfortable with me and, and they're aware of my and how I communicate and what I'm looking for. And I mean, I get the occasional feelings and they'll text me and then I have to reset the boundaries. So there's definitely moments where there's Hey guys, you know me, what are you doing? Or they forget, or it is something that is urgent to them. And so there's sometimes that moment where you have to reset and go, I'm going to send this as an email. I'm going to remind you that it's going to be really important that we communicate through email instead, especially because I don't need to awkwardly accidentally text a parent something I was texting (laughs) someone else. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, me too. Well done. Well done, because this has not been easy, but it's been super fun to watch. And it was really, really good for me to come back and see this sort of shift in you. And I couldn't wait to get you on the podcast to sort of talk about it. I think this is going to be an episode that we reference back a lot for clinicians, both when we do coaching and in Learn Smarter Pro. So thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. you do our signature sign off? Have a great week, Smarties. (laughs) Have a great week. (laughs) Have a great week.